And uh, welcome to St. Jude's this morning. It's a fine, beautiful morning, and these last few days have been wonderful weather. I managed to get to the beach yesterday for the first time in a while, and it was the cold water was still freezing, though. Even though it was still 28 degrees when you got out, it was probably like 12 when you got into the water. It was so cold. Um, but I'm thankful for the change of weather. Uh, today we're looking at the, the passage of... Um, the blind man being healed by Jesus in John 9. Uh, but before we do that, please join me in prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've created for us. We pray, Lord, now that as we come to hear your word, you open our hearts and our eyes so that we may see it, that we may believe it, and that we may put it into practice. We praise this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation in which a person has come to you seeking an answer because you're apparently the expert in the field that they are inquiring of? Whether it be a novice in the workforce or a child or a grandchild asking you a question. Or it could be a tourist asking you for directions. Or someone asking you some complicated questions about your faith. How is it that you respond when you don't know the answer? Sometimes we can respond with humility, saying that we actually don't know the answer, so let's figure it out together. Or sometimes we really don't know, but you offer an answer anyway. Or you just outright give an answer, fully knowing that you don't know what you're talking about. I've been asked many questions before about classical music uh, because I am a classically trained musician as a flautist um, and I've completed a Bachelor of Music. And often I felt because of this situation I needed to give an answer even though I didn't necessarily know the answer to the questions. And I think we end up doing this because we are too proud to admit that we aren't an expert, that we don't have all the answers. And when someone questions the answer you give, then we can often just dig our heels in deeper instead of admitting that we could possibly be wrong or in need of more learning. And we can see a similar situation play out in today's narrative on Jesus healing the man born blind. In the passage, we see a physical outworking of Jesus' previous claims, that he is the light of the world, and that he has come, he is the truth, that will set the captives free. Jesus' work as a light of the world is to set people free from, by enabling, to, enabling them to see the truth. Uh, Jesus healing the man that was born blind is an example of his authority over sin. Blindness was used as a metaphor in Old Testament um, language for spiritual failure. In Isaiah, spiritual blindness was used as a sign of refusing to see and believe God. And in judgment, God spiritually blinded those who rebelled against him. However, the beautiful thing is that this spiritual blindness will one day be remedied by God by his Messiah that comes to save his people. 
Now in Jesus' time, the Jews have taken that idea, that metaphor, and associated it with physical blindness as well. A person born blind to them must be experiencing the judgment of God. And that's why we see that the disciples ask, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now you're probably thinking, that's, that's quite a horrible thing to say to someone. You're just walking by and you see a, a blind person and you say, well, he must be a sinner or his parents must be a sinner. However, Jesus responds saying that neither the man nor his parents um, sinned that caused his blindness. The man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What is unique about the healing of the man born blind in chapter 9 compared to some of Jesus' other healings is that he doesn't simply just heal the man, nor did the man seek him out for a healing. Jesus saw him as he was walking past, and he heals him by putting mud on his eyes and saying, go, go and wash in the pool. And this raises a question as to why Jesus healed the man in this way. He could have simply just said, open your eyes, and the man would have been able to see. Earlier on in John's Gospel, when Jesus heals a paralyzed man, he does so by saying, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And the answer that we're given to this question as to why Jesus heals in this way, we see in verse 3, is it's so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The work of God is to open the eyes of the blind that they may see Jesus, the light of the world. In so doing this, the blind are set free in the truth, moving from darkness to light, from death to life, healing their broken relationship with God that is caused by sin. Now, this is something, as Christians, we have all experienced. Um, For those who aren't Christians in this room, this could be a journey that um, you might be going through. So we're going to look at the story, and we're going to look at it from the perspective of the blind man. We're going to think of ourselves as the blind man. You've just received your physical sight after following Jesus' instructions to go wash in the pool. And what happens? You are bombarded with a series of interrogations from your neighbours and the religious leaders of your community. The people that ought to know who you are. Instead of being met with joy and thanksgiving, you are met with suspicion and contempt. After you receive your sight, you are then confronted with a series of questions. The first come from your neighbours. Is this the person who used to sit and beg? Some of your neighbours affirm your identity, but others question and say, no, it looks like them, it's not actually them. And, And you kind of feel the irony, the sadness of 
you have just received your sight, yet your neighbours couldn't even recognise who you are, even though you've been begging your entire life in their presence. Then they ask you, how were your eyes opened? But all the information that you have is that some random dude called Jesus, he walked by and he rubbed some mud in your eye and he told you to go and wash in some pool. The image that you have of who or how you were healed is still very blurry. And then suddenly you are thrust into a journey of gaining a clearer picture as to who this man called Jesus is. Your neighbours bring you before the Pharisees. Surely, surely as the wise religious experts and leaders of the community, they will be able to give an answer as to how you can see, as to who this man might be. You tell them what happened. And when you do it, an argument breaks out in the room, and the room is just full of division. Some are saying that Jesus is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. While others are asking, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And then in a somewhat ironic twist, they turn around, they face you, and they say, what do you say about him? You are shocked and thinking, Hey, aren't you guys supposed to be the experts? Aren't you supposed to have all the answers? I'm just a blind beggar that has received their sight. And your vision of Jesus becomes a little bit clearer. And you exclaim that, oh, Jesus must be a prophet. Now, I personally find this part of the narrative quite comical. Um, And it it sparked this image in my head of a room full of engineers trying to figure out why the toaster isn't working. They fiddle with the handle to see if there's any debris that might be loose stopping the mechanism from springing up. Um, They check the manual to see um, if they need to clean it in any way. They take the whole machine apart and they put it back together, yet the toaster is still not working. So in the desperation, they turn around, they see the the janitor in the corner of the room and they ask him, oh, why isn't this working? Janitor comes over and he switches on the PowerPoint and the toaster works. But being unsatisfied with the answer that was given, the Jewish leaders then decide to insist that you were never born blind. They call in your parents and ask them. Now, in this moment, you're just thinking, well, obviously they're just trying to pass the buck. They're they're throwing a hospital pass to your parents. Your parents affirm that you are their child and that you were born blind and now that you all of a sudden can see. But out of fear from being cast out of the synagogue, but confessing that Jesus might be the Messiah, the promised Christ, they don't give an answer as to why. Instead, they say that you are of age. 
and that they should ask you what happened. And by doing this, they have essentially given reliability to you as a witness. But again, you're thinking, surely the Jewish leaders know that I am a reliable witness, I am of age. Are they so blind to the truth before them that they are purposely seeking in any answer that doesn't have the end result of Jesus having the power to heal someone born blind? Now the Jewish leaders, they change tactics and they tell you, give glory to God. In which they're saying, speak truthfully as if you're on some form of oath before God. But you know what the truth is that they want to hear. The only truth that will give glory to God according to them is to affirm Jesus as a sinner. Thinking since your miraculous healing, all you've been seen with is contempt and suspicion, Instead of joy and thanksgiving, now these Jewish leaders are urging you to tell the truth that they want to hear. And if you don't do it, then you'll be cast out of the synagogue. You will lose access to your community, to your family. You will lose access to God. The temptation right now must be great to give in and just say what they want to hear. Yet, you don't. Instead, you hold to the truth that has been revealed to you. You say that you don't know if Jesus is a sinner or not. All you know is that you were once blind, but now you see. You were once blind, but now you see. And of course, this this isn't the answer that the Jewish leaders were seeking. So they ask you yet again, how did he open your eyes? Fed up with their interrogations, their lack of understanding, their blindness to the truth, you exclaim in amazement. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? You teach them what you know and what you expect them as religious leaders to already know. God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of someone born blind. If Jesus was not from God, then he couldn't possibly perform this miracle. And then the Jewish leaders, in a fit of rage, cast you out of the synagogue, saying, you were born in Anasin, and you would teach us? A little bit later... Um, Jesus comes to you having heard that you're being cast out of the synagogue and they find you and he asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
what do you say? The man that was formerly blind responds by saying, Lord, I believe, and he worships Jesus. And in this narrative, we have seen a man who is considered to be born in sin receive his sight and slowly has Jesus' identity revealed to him, which ends with him exclaiming Jesus as Lord and worshipping him. This is because Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus' work of healing the man born blind was to show that his work is to help those that do not see to see, but also to blind those that believe they are already able to see. To blind those that in their spiritual pride believe that they don't need the light of the world. The tragic irony of the narrative is that those who are supposed to be able to see, who are supposed to know God the most, the Jewish leaders are blinded by their uprightness and their contempt for Jesus. Whereas that man, that man that is born blind and knows he is blind, receives sight to truly see and understand that Jesus is Lord. Now there may be some here who may not yet call Jesus Lord. This narrative ought to be an encouragement that Jesus could be doing a work within you. No matter what stage you are at, if you fix your eyes on the light of the world that is Jesus, he will open your eyes to see the truth. To be set free from your blindness. Come to him with your questions and a humble heart and he will give you sight. Uh, This might not happen straight away, like uh, it might be a journey like the man born blind that we just saw. But by genuinely seeking answers to your questions about who Jesus is, and realizing that you are spiritually blind and in need of healing, he will open your eyes so that you may be set free and call him Lord. Some practical ways of doing this could be reading through one of the Gospels with a mature Christian who can help you discover the answers to your questions. And to pray. Pray with them that Jesus will open your eyes to the truth. If you're sitting here thinking, oh, I'd love to do something like that, to speak to one of the ministry staff afterwards and we'll be happy to help organize The narrative also serves as a warning to those who are suffering from spiritual pride. I've just taken us through a journey from the perspective of the blind man, but what if we might be the Pharisee or the religious leaders? We might be one of those that think that they've got it all sorted, You might have seen a light and become a Christian decades ago, but you could still suffer from this spiritual pride. The great American preacher Jonathan Edwards said concerning spiritual pride, 
one under the influence of spiritual pride is more apt to instruct others than to inquire for himself and naturally puts on the air of a master. Whereas one that is full of pure humility naturally has the air of a disciple. Notice in the narrative that the religious leaders refused to be instructed. We see that the most, the most important component of a faithful Bible teacher as well as a student, which we are all students, whether you be the bishop, the senior minister, someone that's been a Christian for decades or for a week, the most faithful component is a willingness, a desire, and a longing to learn. Now, for those that might be suffering from spiritual pride at the moment, which is something that all of us can fall victim to um, from time to time, the way that we have this spiritual pride defeated in us and for us is by having personal encounters with Jesus, continually recognizing his lordship over your life, allowing him to show you where you are mistaken and experiencing with him an ongoing life of joyful and costly discipleship. Now this is achieved in our day-to-day walk as an individual with him by actively pursuing his mercy but it is also achieved in community with your fellow believers who are here to help point out your spiritual blind spots and are here to be an encouragement to you in your walk with Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that you healed the blind man uh, through Jesus many years ago. We pray, Lord, um, for those who are speaking, seeking you, that you'll open their eyes to the truth. You'll be an encouragement to them, Lord. We thank you for um, those here that you have already opened their eyes, that you'll keep them under your word, you'll keep them from spiritual pride, giving them a willingness and eagerness to learn from your truth and from you, to walk side by side, with you and with the fellow believers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.